Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Elstree 1976 is a feature-length documentary looking at the lives of the people behind the masks and beneath the helmets in the original Star Wars. Over the summer of 1976, a wide array of North American and British actors, along with an inexhaustible supply of film extras, donned crazy costumes and headgear to populate what would become one of the most beloved cinematic universes of all time. And we're joined today by, the, well, the film is called L Street, 1976, and it is a look behind the peak behind the curtain of this phenomenon known as Star Wars, but really back at its roots. And we're joined today by the director of this film, John Spira. John, welcome to Film School. Thank you. You also, let me just give you also your credit with uh, for editing this film as well. Um, so. Thank you. Get all that in, but tell me a little bit about uh, now. Everyone knows Star Wars. Everyone's seen it, especially the the first one, the original. Um, but uh, what prompted you to kind of pursue this line for a for a documentary? How'd you get into this? This one was an interesting one. It was it was um, actually I was teaching at the time. This is going back about ten years, and one of my students uh, kind of took me aside and said, "Hey, do you like Star Wars?" And I said, "Yeah," <laughs> and he said, uh, "I was in it," and which kind of was a surprise. And he he kind of told me his story, and and he was he had been an extra in the first Star Wars film. That's the only film he'd ever done. He did a couple of days' work on it, never did anything else. And um, and that night he 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 showed me his car, and in the back of his car he had like boxes of like glossy eight by ten photos, which he autographed. He autographed a couple for me, yeah. and one of them was this amazing photo, which was the X-wing briefing room scene before they do the raid on the Death Star, yeah. and um. He's in the middle of this photo. This photo is focused on him. It's a guy called John Chapman. If you look on, you know, on the internet, you'll see this photo. And you can see the whole cast in the back. You can see Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and Chewbacca and the droids. And this shot is a picture of him with all these people in the back. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I don't remember this guy in the film. <laughs> so when I went and, and watched the film, the actual scene was shot from the other angle. So you can only see the back of his head. Okay. <laughs> and, and it was bizarre because this is a guy who never did anything else. He's lived a very kind of, I don't want to say an ordinary life because, you know, no lives are ordinary, but, but he, he's just a normal guy in kind of, I mean, at that time I think he was living somewhere near Reading, you know, in, in England, like in the middle of, you know, just suburbia mm -hmm. and stuff. And yet, you know, he'd had this kind of contact with this amazing cultural phenomenon and it had actually affected his life. It had dragged him in. He told me that he went to these conventions and he signed photos and that's why he had all these photos in his car. And um, I, I asked if I could go with to one of the conventions. I just popped along and saw him at this convention and spent a little while sat with him. And, um, and it was this really amazing experience because I could see him kind of going through all these different emotions about being sat there, about the idea that people, you know, a lot of people just walked past or kind of had this attitude, why would I want an extra's autograph? And then equally, a lot of people were so excited to meet him and talk to someone who'd actually been, at, you know, at the, the, the starting point of this kind of phenomenon. And it really just made me think about what that meant, about what it, that would, would mean to be very tangentially linked to something so culturally important. And I could see from this from this convention that he was not the only one. There was a whole community of these people who did this. And I'd already made my last film, called Anyone Can Play Guitar, um, 
And at the time, I was actually working on another film, which was about comedy. So I was already making documentaries, which, which kind of focused on people who had been somewhat marginalized mm -hmm. by pop culture, mm -hmm. or who lived kind of on the periphery or in the kind of shadows of pop culture. Um, so it, it, you know, it just chimed with me immediately. And um, uh, but I, I didn't do anything for a long time. I mean, it, like I said, it took me kind of 10 years to, to, to get to the point where, where we actually made it. Wow, um, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a long di that's a long time to sort of uh, gestate on, on something, but it really pays off because the people in this film and I I will I will sort of Dave Prowse am I saying yeah, that? Prowse, yeah Prowse who is uh, he plays Darth Vader which I mean everyone knows the voice and they assume that it's uh, James Earl Ray uh, but uh, I did I I'm sorry James Earl Jones. James, oh my God! Whoa, I'm gonna edit that out. Uh, James Earl Jones uh, is it plays Darth Vader, but they know the voice. But uh, obviously, they needed someone to physically occupy the uh, th that uh, role, and he's in it. And there's just so many people that uh, are in this that are just such wonderful human beings. That let me ask you, in sort of terms of getting to know these people, was there any hesitancy on the part of them to? to open up to you because they really are just very cool people and 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 they really seem to have opened up to you any reticence on their part to get involved in something like this or um not really i mean i th i think uh we we tried to, the way that i interview people for my films is a little different to the way documentaries are usually made mm -hmm. um which is that i interview people for a very long time like the interviews can run to four hours they can run to five hours sometimes um and and I don't have, I don't go in with an agenda. I don't really go in with a kind of list of questions that, that I need asked. I don't, I think often when you make documentaries, you know exactly what you want the film to be. So you ask questions which will lead to get the answers that you need to make, to tell the story you wanted to tell. And that's never been my approach. My approach is to kind of submerge myself somewhat into the community that I'm dealing with, have really long interviews, which are really just, I mean, I don't say conversations because I don't talk a lot. I let them guide it. I let them talk about what they want to talk about. Mm. And then at the end of the interviewing process, I look at what I've got, and I, and I try and work out what the film's going to be from there. Mm. You know, because each interview that you do changes the film. Mm -hmm. So they weren't... I don't think anyone was reticent about getting involved. Um, and we had some problems afterwards. I think when the trailers came out, some of the actors were upset uh, about the idea that, that they were... Being, that the that perhaps the extras were being elevated to a higher level or to the same level as them in a kind of um mm. in a career type way mm. and but but they all came on board i mean once they saw the film once they saw what the film was and they understood that it wasn't about star wars and it was just about you know everyone has dignity you know no mm. no, no one in that in, in that group of interviews is more important than the others some might have had better careers some might have been more accomplished in in terms of screen performances um but it's just about people so th there wasn't any reticence to get involved i don't think mm -hmm. um we we explained to them what we wanted to do. We we and we showed. I mean, whoever wanted to see them, we showed anyone can play guitar, so they understood kind of where I was coming from, the kind of films I made, the kind of tone of the films, um, and everyone seemed to be no, everyone seemed to be into it. Well, I, I get that's the cool thing about the film uh, is that uh, that this un I and we'll we'll talk, let me start over. Let me start that question over. Basically, the people who were the extras in this film back in 1976 when it started to uh, be they had very little expectations about the film we'll talk a little bit about that sort of their perspective going into this um well you've got to remember that at that time the british film industry was was really at the top of the game uh the the british british film industry has always been incredible in terms of craft you know we we've we've 
more than rivaled the American studio system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been making films since since film began. We've had film studios right from the get-go. And um, at that time, we had, if I remember correctly, we had a certain tax levy. Um, they were like loopholes. And so in the 70s and the 80s, a lot of big American films were shooting in, in London uh, because it was so much more effective, to do, cheaper to do that. So the Indiana Jones films were all filmed in London. You know, all of all of these kind of big Hollywood films were actually filming in London, uh, which meant they were using British crews, and it meant they were using British talent as well. Mm. Um, you'll find that a lot of the reason there's a lot of Canadians in my film is because they were British uh, citizens, mm. and legally. Um, the studio had to hire as many British people as possible. So British citizens with American accents and stuff mm-hmm. made sense, you know. And in fact, those guys all did all the Bond films and stuff as well. So at that time, the British film industry was, was really at the top of the game. Yeah. And there was a certain arrogance to it as well. So I think when this film came over, when Star Wars came over to shoot here, no one knew who George Lucas was. And frankly, the film seemed just like a hokey kids film. <laughs> You know, he wasn't a loud director. He didn't express himself. He didn't feel the need, I think, to express himself to the crew particularly or to be kind of, um, you know, chummy with them. So I think there was, a, there was a feeling amongst the crew and amongst the extras who were all very long in the tooth, you know, who all did this for a living, that this was just a kind of hokey little kid's film and whatever. I think they all laughed about it. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right, because I was just thinking as you're talking about the British film industry at that time, I mean, Kubrick was making amazing films during this period of absolutely. time. Richard Attenborough... David Lean, uh, there were a, a number of going back maybe to the early to the mid '60s through the '70s. These were and they were you're right blockbuster films. Um, well, and, and also these people had worked with them. I mean, yeah. most of our interview, well, certainly a portion of our interviewees had worked with Kubrick and had worked with Attenborough. They'd been on all these big films, you know. I mean, yeah. Anthony uh, Forrest had just come straight off The Eagle Has Landed. Yeah. So he thought he was going from, you know, a massive Hollywood film <laughs> to kind of a, a silly little project to a degree. Yeah. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I think the context you've got to understand is that we were making the biggest, best films at that time. Yeah. So when this film came along, it didn't seem like anything special. And how ironic. Inadvertently, it really in many ways is... is uh Certainly one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic film of of its kind, for for sure. Yeah. And then in some ways it sort of redefined cinema as far as spectacle and expectations for characters. All these things that, that uh, and, and certainly the appeal that it had to its audience is hard to deny. And especially as you see in L Street 1976, it, it, it is as strong as ever. And uh, these people, I mean, it's just a, such a cool part of the, of the Star Wars story, these people. And I, I, yeah. I you know. Um, well, I just really, out of the few minutes we have left, I, I just want to ask you about sort of the, obviously you needed some level of cooperation from, uh, from the Star Wars people. Um, what was, what was the relationship for you, uh, in that regard? No, no, we didn't. We didn't need any cooperation and we didn't seek any cooperation. Oh, We didn't okay. have any cooperation. Um, oh, okay. No, it was, um, the, the, the footage that we use of Star Wars and the imagery, it all falls under a kind of, um, a legal concept called fair use. Yeah, okay. Uh, which is a very well-established concept, and we adhere to all the tenets of it, really. There, there, I think there are four guiding principles, and we, you know, we, we made sure we dealt with the biggest kind of specialist in fair use in America, uh, in yeah. Hollywood, 
uh, we dealt with we, we we hired that legal team. In fact, that legal team are the, the people who wrote literally wrote the book on fair use. Okay. And they approved it, so so it was fine. We've not had any contact with Lucasfilm. Well, you did a beautiful job. Uh, let me just compliment you then on the on, on the fact that it's it blends seamlessly into the context of the documentary. Uh, and I assumed, obviously, incorrectly, that, that they must have been a part of it. Uh, well, um, now, what is uh, the reaction among audiences? This has been, I'm sure, beginning to be screened around uh, the world. Um, how, yeah. how, how, how's it going? It's been interesting, actually. It's been really interesting kind of monitoring the, the reviews and stuff and the reactions to it. I think there's, um, I mean, the good side is when, when people understand what the film is supposed to be, and, 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 and kind of what it's doing, they seem to respond really well to it. I mean, yeah. we were just today with a New York Times' critics' pick, which is fantastic. Yes. We got a great review in the LA Times as well. And, and I felt that those reviewers understood what the film was supposed to be, which is a kind of um, a very, it's a low-key, slightly kind of bittersweet, melancholy film yes. about what it means to, to have, to a normal life, to have this connection to this kind of cultural juggernaut, you know? Yeah. And it's it's in a way it's a it's a film which is kind of a, a portrait of that. It's, it's little kind of character portraits. Uh, I think the problem is that because Star Wars has such a, a rabid fan base, people love Star Wars so much. I've certainly seen a lot of stuff on the internet where people describe the film as either a making of or a behind the scenes. Mm. And I think if you come to it with that in mind and looking forward to that, it's not going to be what you expect, and it might require kind of a change of gears. So I think like. Um, People coming to it expecting a making of have certainly not had the experience that they were expecting. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, but that said, a lot of them who have responded really well to that and said, "Wow, I was expecting one thing and I got another." Well, I I, I love it, and I and I I'm and I'm not a I like the films. Frank, frankly, I'm perfectly honest, I think the films took a precipitous dive after The Empire Strikes Back. Really sure. lost all interest in them, you know, after a period of time. And this latest one is a. It's it's an okay film. I don't think it's you know it's, I didn't whatever. It, it, they're they're good films. I'm not going to knock Star Wars. Obviously, they're yeah. they're good stories. They're well told. But I would you know I would uh, sort of if I was looking for a, an a, a, an example, a sort of cultural reference. This is like a in a way it's like a documentary about Pete Best, the drummer, the the guy who was the drummer, <laughs> yeah, the original drummer in the Beatles. You know, it's that you know how close. At one point, at some point, these actors, the the, the extras, a cast that was in Star Wars, wasn't the featured performers, must have just been, you know, like the fates of the gods, just that close to being a literal cultural icon. And and yet, you know, this is the way life goes, and they seem very happy people. But it's and I'm and I would imagine Pete Best, you know, got through this, his life pretty well. Otherwise, uh, but. It just feels like that kind of a thing to me. Is that is that a fair a, fair analogy? It is to a degree. I mean, uh, the thing that I really like about about the kind of the variation in the interviewees that I chose is that they all they, they've all dealt with it differently, mm -hmm. and their reactions to that are all different. And start, their their relationship to Star Wars all means it means different things to each of them. Yeah. So I think. Pete Best is a really interesting kind of cultural figure to look at because I think people do look at him and go, oh, you know, that poor bastard. Yes. And, and I think also he did, he, he do, I mean, I, don't, I think he is still alive. I think he is. And I know that he does a lot of Beatles conventions and stuff, so I know that Beatles is still kind of a part of his life. I don't know what that means to him. Yeah. I like the fact that, that our guys, they all, they've all dealt with it differently. They've mm. all got different philosophies surrounding it. And to a degree, that's what the film's about. Yeah. It's looking about how different people deal with the same the same issue. Well, 
it's a, it's a great film, a great documentary, really fun. Whether you're a Star Wars fanatic or you just have a passing interest in it as a cultural phenomena, I strongly recommend you check out Elf Street, uh, 1976. It's playing uh, across, uh, I assume it's opening all over the country or close yeah, to. Yeah, if you look on the FilmRise website, yeah. you can see a list of all yeah. the cinemas, but it's in about 30 locations. Yeah, and, and we'll post that in, on, on, our, on our site. So, uh, But, uh, you know, John Aspira, this is a wonderful film, and congratulations as director and editor of the film, uh, L Street 1976, and all the best. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, John. Take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.